If we are really honest with ourselves, we would all love to be rich. But what does that really mean? Is it simply having a nice car, a big house, new clothes? What if living a rich life isn't what you think? What if it's more about what you give away than what you hold on to? What if it's more about the contents of your heart than the contents of your bank account? In this series, we'll explore what it truly means to live a rich life. All right, welcome. Welcome to everyone here on our Newburgh campus, here and in the chapel, our West campus, and on Facebook Live. Let me pray and we'll get started. Father, we are so grateful to be in your house. God, our lives need to be about your life. Our hearts need to be about your heart. Lord, we love you. We worship you and we praise you. We're seeking your kingdom and your righteousness, God. We are a church and a people who want to reach out to the community around us and share the truth, and the love of Christ. We want to be a people who make a difference. God, it's never what I have to say. It's what you have to say. So I invite you to come and speak this morning in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, well, Merry Christmas. It's December. I can say that. Now, I start celebrating really early, but people look at you so weird when you wish them Merry Christmas on October 1st. They say ridiculous things back to you like, it's not even Halloween or what about Thanksgiving? Guys, those are all just stops on the way to Christmas. I am not making this up. Every December 26th, there's a little bit of melancholy sadness in me. And my first thought is, okay, only nine more months until October and I can start celebrating Christmas again. I I legitimately go through that. I just love this time of year. It's a time where we remember the birth of our Lord and Savior, and it's as if kind of the whole world lowers its guard about Jesus. I mean, even on secular stations, on TV, on the radio, you you hear about the birth of Christ, you hear about that little baby that came. Uh, Without Christ, there is no Christmas, and even the world has to acknowledge that. I, I love Christmas movies, I love Christmas decorations, I love Christmas cookies, I love Christmas songs. And I, I know December 26th, my family is just thanking God because October 1, we start with Christmas music and it does not end. Dad, how about if we just listen to, no. What if we just take a break? That's called January. I do not take breaks from Christmas. I just don't do it. But you know, folks, I really love My favorite thing is I love getting and mostly giving gifts. Giving gifts is definitely my love language. When I was a kid, my mom used to always say, you know, one day you'll like giving presents more than you like getting presents. And I thought she was crazy. I mean, there's nothing better than getting a present, is there? There's nothing better than receiving that gift. Well, after 26 years of marriage and two kids, I can say that there's no greater feeling, no greater joy than in giving. I have come to realize that my joy has never depended on how much I had, but on how much I gave away. Uh, Let me say that again. My joy, I have come to realize over my life that my joy has never depended on how much I had, but how much I gave away. Because there there is no end to want, is there? There is no end to what I want to receive. Oh, the joy when you give that present and somebody lights up when they open it up and like, oh man, it's exactly what I wanted. I, I look for those presents. I can fill a tree on a budget. 
Man, I mean, there are so many presents underneath the tree. I start shopping in July. My wife won't go to the mall with me anymore. I start shopping in July because I just, I want, I want, I get, I get the joy out of the giving. I think even so much more than even the people that receive. You know, today we're wrapping up our series, and my official title is The Gift That Keeps on Giving. And if I were to sit at a coffee shop and say to you, hey, what do you think is the gift that keeps on giving? Most of us would say Jesus, and we should. He has given us the gift of salvation. If we call upon him to be our God, our Savior, the Bible says if we just simply call upon the name of the Lord, then he will wash away our past, our present, and even our future wrong acts, what, what we call sin. Jesus himself was and is the greatest gift ever. John chapter 3, verse 16, everybody quotes it. For this is how God loved the world he gave. I identify with God because he is a gift giver too. That is his love language. God is a giver. I say all the time, you cannot outgive God. But it sure is fun to try. The Bible says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, the greatest gift, so that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the greatest simplicity. And I love verse 17. God sent his son to the world not to judge the world. He didn't come to condemn, but to save the world through him. Jesus has not only delivered me from a hell to come, but he often delivers me from a hellacious present. He keeps me from consequences that I deserve here and now. I don't know about you, but there have been so many times that I have messed up. You know, the Bible says that the wicked flee when no man pursues. You run even nobody, nobody's coming after you. Any of you can relate to that? I'm running, I'm looking around, you know, and somehow what I deserve, I don't get. That is salvation. Salvation is a, is a continuous act. God is saving me every day. His love and forgiveness are an ocean that I find myself drowning in. He is and has always been the gift that keeps on giving, but that's not our focus today. I'm not focusing on Christ today. I am focusing on you and on me. I have always loved getting gifts. I always have. But now I can honestly say, I want to be the gift that keeps on giving. I want to give back to him and the world that he loved enough to die for. I want to mirror God's generosity. We've been in 1 Timothy chapter 6, this entire series, and, and Timothy says this, or Paul says this to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great, great gain. Uh, another version says, but godliness with contentment is great wealth. There is this sense that if I could get godliness down and I could be happy with all I already have, then there would be great wealth in that. I think godliness is the easy one. I think being godly is really the most simple thing in the world. And you might say, Pastor Rick, what are you talking about? I struggle with, with so many things in my life. I mean, if you really knew all the ins and outs and, and what I deal with daily, you would probably say that godliness was the hardest one. No, because we, we don't understand godliness. Godliness is simply me presenting my body, as Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It is me presenting my body as a living sacrifice unto God. It is simply me saying, God, here it is. Do what you want. If you got to drag me through the mud or I walk willingly, this is my body. This is my life. This is my heart. This is my soul. God, take it. That making me look like God then becomes God's work. But contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. The contentment part is hard. 
Paul said we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Godliness and contentment make you a rich person. But contentment, that's the hard one. That one's all on me. Each of, us must per- each of us must personally decide at some point in our lives that what we have and what we have been given is enough. Contentment is understanding that you have, and I have been given so much that it's enough. We love to quote Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But the literal translation there is the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Can you say that? If you can, then you're content because contentment is understanding that you and I have been given so much that it's enough. I can honestly, and I, and I pray humbly, say that my wife and my children and I have given up almost all that we had twice in our lives. And when I say everything, I'm talking about the couch, the cars, the silverware. We have got, taken our lives down to nothing. When we moved to Poland to help plant a church, uh, we took our lives down to 10 boxes and then down to five. I remember my daughter, Katie, crying when I was signing the, the, the deed over to the house. And I remember saying, Daddy, please don't sell the house. Please don't sell the house. It was the hardest thing that I ever had to do. But I wanted to be obedient to Christ. I wanted to further his mission. And then in the move to California, we sold our house and literally put every dollar we made into the mission of reaching addicted teens for Christ. I remember my wife saying, we'll never be able to buy a house again. And she said it bitterly. She just said it, that's the way it is. And yet six months ago, again, God called us to give up something we were comfortable with to begin something that was brand new. Why? Because we bought into the vision of Crossroads to reach out into our community and our neighborhoods around us for Jesus Christ. We bought into the vision to connect everyone everywhere to Jesus. That is our goal. Our joy and contentment has never been dependent on how much we had or what was comfortable but on how much we could give away. I love to try to outgive God. So here's my question to you today. Are you content? Content means a state of peaceful happiness, satisfied, not wishing for more. If I sat down with you and I said, man, do you have enough? Are you content with all that you have? Would you ever say, you know what, brother? I might want some more and a little more would be nice, but I am absolutely content. God has given me enough. In fact, my heart, I have been given so much that now I want to share it. Do you want godliness and contentment? Because contentment is all on you. It's an attitude. It's not how much you have. Or do you want to be the guy or girl who's always looking for more? Isn't it draining to always feel like you don't have enough? Or thinking that you could be content if you just got a little more? Everyone always seems to be looking for more. So many of us believe that if we had more, we'd, we'd be okay. But what if we did a paradigm shift in our minds? What if we thought, this is what I have right now? This amount of money, this amount of education, this number of friends. God, this is all I have. How can I use that for your glory right now, God? How can I share the love I've been given? How can I share the food and the finances I have been given? One day, God may give me more. But right now, God, this is what I have. So how do I use that for your honor and for your glory? Contentment is the act of being satisfied. Contentment isn't walking around your house or in your garage or your apartment and thinking, if I just had a better job. It's, it's, it's taking stock of what you do have and saying, God, thank you so much. 
I have, uh, I have two dogs. They're both little. I've been, you know, reduced to, I used to have Rottweilers. Now I have a Yorkie. I, I don't know what to say to that. I'm married. I guess that's all I can say. Um, we have a Yorkie and a Boston Terrier. And I, I don't want to do the voice, but every morning when I'm leaving, I'm like, oh, daddy loves you so much. I mean, I just become this babbling idiot. I am so grateful for those dogs. That little tiny Yorkie, she's 13 years old, and I'm praying, God, give her six more years. I have a Boston Terrier that is so insane. If he was a person, he would be hospitalized. But I love that dog, man. I want to walk around my house going, God, look at God. Thank you for that. God, I'm overwhelmed. God, you've done so much. One day, God may give you more, more. But right now, that is what you have. So how do you use what you have for God's glory? Because I think if we could get that down, we would experience joy and wealth that we have never experienced before. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. Being discontented is a disease that can wither our hearts, isn't it? If contentment is great gain, then it stands to reason that discontentment is great loss. It's the tyranny of more. The slavery of, uh, if I just had. I I remember speaking at a a function one time, and and this lady walked up to me, and she said, the promises of the Bible are not for me. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, the, 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 the Bible, God promises it'll give us the desires of our hearts. She goes, she said, I, my apartment is too small. I want a better job. And I wish I had a nicer car. And I'm thinking, wait, you have a place to live, a job, and a car, and you're discontent? She literally said, the promises of God aren't for me. And God had blessed her so much, she couldn't even see it. Let me encourage you tonight to open our eyes to all that God has already done for us. We have so much that we can't help but look around for more. I'm used to more. Solomon was a guy God used to write two books of the Bible in the Old Testament, plus a lot of the books of Proverbs. He he was one of the first kings of Israel. He was perhaps the richest and wisest man who ever lived. It has been said that gold was as common as rocks in Solomon's palace. But even he dealt with the feelings of discontentment. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. Everything is wearisome beyond description. This is the richest man that ever lived. God gave him superior, supernatural wisdom, but he didn't have contentment because that was his choice. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. This guy had it all, money, power, prestige. He had the highest position in the land. He was king, but it was never enough. More stuff does not bring more joy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be found amongst the discontent. Contentment isn't about what I can get, but what I can give away. How I can bless God, how I can bless the people around me. Giving a gift and watching somebody brighten up. Giving the gift of salvation. Giving the gift of love. Caring about somebody else. Furthering the gospel. It's about what I can do for others. Because, you know what, if you're not content with what you already have, there's a pretty huge chance that you'll, you'll never be content. Contentment is giving without wanting anything back. 
Now, let me say that again. Contentment is giving without wanting anything back. And I'm not, I don't just mean money. It's giving friendship to someone who doesn't give back. It's continuing to be gracious to the kind, to that person who's content to take, but to never return. It's, it's, it's texting encouragement and love. It, it, it's giving and, and never getting anything back. Nothing but silence. No, no warmth is returned to you. But you give anyway, and you give it in the name of Jesus. It's, it's loving and giving simply so that you can advance the cause and the love of Christ. So my question today, are you content? Is there enough? Has God done enough for you? Has he given you enough? Are you marked and defined by your relationship with Jesus? And the Bible is filled with ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things for God. There were people both in the Old Testament and the New Testament who had encounters with God, with Jesus, and it changed them. It defined them. It redefined them. They, they moved past. I know a lot of people who, who have heard about God. I know a lot of people who can talk about God, who they've read about God. They listen to sermons. They, they come to church, but they don't know God. Yeah, I mean, I, have you ever just been, have you ever just seen somebody walk into a room or a restaurant or a coffee shop or, or at work and they just walk in the room and there is a presence of the Holy Spirit around them that is so powerful, you just know they've been with God. I, I want to be that guy. When a man or woman truly comes to know God, I mean know him in a personal, intimate way. It changes them forever and they are never the same. You, you can tell somebody that's heard about God. In an instant from somebody who knows God. The grumpy become joy-filled. The fearful become bold. The sad become joyous. The slaves become free. The stingy become generous. I want to be one of those people. And I want you to be one of those people. I want others to be able to point at us and say, you know, that guy doesn't want anything from anybody. He just really wants to share the love of Christ to the world around him. That is my heart for me and my heart for you. I, I want to take a look at the Bible at someone who, who had a life-altering encounter with Jesus. It's so brief. It, it happens over the span of, of perhaps a, a couple of hours, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four hours. Let's take a look at this guy, a guy named Zacchaeus. We're introduced to him in Luke chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town, and there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. I, I've read this passage a thousand times and somehow missed that line. He had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, I want to give Zacchaeus his due. He was very rich, but how did he get very rich? You know, he had to have been a pretty smart guy. Very rarely do you accumulate a lot of wealth without being pretty smart. They say an overnight success really takes about 15 to 20 years of hard work. He was upper management. He was the boss. The Bible says he was the chief tax collector. He had to have been pretty thick-skinned, perhaps very stubborn. Why? Well, he was a Jewish person, but he worked for the Romans as a tax collector. The Jews hated the Romans because they subdued them and conquered them. 
The only thing they hated more than the Romans was a Jewish person that worked for the Romans. And the only person they hated more than a Jewish person that worked for the Romans was somebody who worked for the IRS too. We can relate. But on this particular day in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus had an encounter that would refocus all that he was. He had obviously heard about Jesus. He must have heard about the guy who could turn water to wine, make the blind see, heal lepers and return them to their families. But he had never personally met Jesus. Jesus' reputation put him on the radar from the poorest to the richest. His, his miracles made him the rock star that everybody, everybody wanted to meet. Something had to be going on in this wealthy man's life that he was so desperate to see Jesus that he climbed up a tree for a glimpse of him. Let, let's take a look at the encounter that, that ensued. Luke 19, verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. They had never met. Zacchaeus would have had no idea how Jesus even knew his name. But Jesus portrays this urgent situation. Quick, come down. I have to, I have, to have lunch with you today, dude. I have to have lunch with you. Why was the situation so urgent to Jesus? Why did he tell Zacchaeus to hurry? Why did he have to be a guest in Zacchaeus' house? Jesus didn't need Zacchaeus' money. Jesus' father owns the cattle on a thousand hill. When Jesus was looking for money, he had somebody catch a fish and pull the coin out of his mouth. He didn't need his money. Jesus walked slowly through the crowds. Read through the gospel. You'll notice that Jesus walked through the crowds in two different ways. When he met the self-righteous, he didn't have the time of day for him. But when he met somebody, some lost soul that needed him, he wasn't about to miss an appointment. Reaching out to the rich and the poor was and is Christ's mission. And he gave it all up for that. Verse 6 says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of notorious sinners, they grumbled. Let me ask you a question I asked a couple weeks ago. When's the last time you had dinner or lunch or coffee with a notorious sinner? And I hope it was yesterday. You don't come to church to lead people to Jesus. They're already with Jesus. You go into the world around you to lead people to Jesus. Jesus was looking for a man or a woman who was far from God, but desperate to be near him. He was going to places that pastors and churchgoers of that day would have never gone. The priest would have never knocked on that guy's door. But Jesus was willing to die to knock on that guy's door. I, I recently had a man tell me that he would never walk in the bar to tell somebody about Jesus. Even if it meant their salvation. I said, okay, well, where are you walking into to tell somebody about Jesus? If it's not a bar, where are you going? It's not the only place you could go. Oh, God, please let me be just like Jesus. Let our church be a church that gives it all away, no matter what anybody else thinks. I, I'm not concerned about being judged by you. I'm concerned about being judged by him. Look, look at the result. Look at the result of this, man. Me meanwhile, let me... Let me recap. Zacchaeus is up a tree. Jesus walks down and goes, dude, got to have lunch with you. 
Zacchaeus climbs down. He's so excited. Everybody's mad because Jesus is now having dinner at this guy's house. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. When I read that, I went, what? What happened? Is that it? That's the entire encounter. Zacchaeus is never mentioned in the Bible ever again. He, he was with Jesus for a short period, a brief encounter. And he says, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated any people under tax, I'll give them back four times as much. We have a shrewd, intelligent businessman here. And he has known Jesus for perhaps an hour or two. Let's go with four. And his entire life is turned upside down. Why? Because Zacchaeus didn't miss all that Christ had done for him. He wasn't looking for more. He realized that Jesus was absolutely enough. You know, if you were a tax collector, if you were a Jewish tax collector, you were excommunicated from the Jewish temple and no one was allowed to hang out with you. If a Jew went to the house of a tax collector, he could not go back to the temple unless he performed a cleansing ritual. In fact, if you, if it, you were legally allowed to spit on and throw rocks at a tax collector. Jewish law permitted you to spit in the face of and throw rocks at a tax collector. But along comes the king of the Jews and he has lunch with him. That is a God worth loving. That is a God worth serving. That is a God worth giving everything to. The Jewish guy standing right next to him is not even allowed to go in his house, but the king of the Jews can't wait to have lunch with him. That's God. God cannot fathom being an eternity without you. I've said this before, guys. Not only does God love you, he likes you. He wants you dinner with you. He wants to be at Starbucks with you. You say, why does he love me? I don't know. Why do I love that stupid dog? <laughs> I don't know. Why do you look at your kid and just go, I would die for you and really mean it. That is how God feels about you. And somehow in just a brief encounter, this despised man got it. He got it. He found intense and sincere love and a great taker became a great giver. You know, according to history, tax collectors in Roman client states depended on deceit, intimidation, and corruption. That wasn't abnormal. But Zacchaeus had an encounter with God, that a God that absolutely loved him just as he was, and it profoundly changed him on the spot. Has your relationship with Christ profoundly changed you on the spot? It was immediately obvious that the old way of life wasn't going to be the new way of living. You can tell people who have heard about Jesus from people who know Jesus. Life becomes all about what you can do for God. He became a gift to the world around him. Then he experienced contentment and godliness, and that's where he found real joy. He was, he was very rich. 
monetarily, but he was poor in all other ways. Has your encounter with Jesus led you to be the gift to the world around you? Are you so content, so grateful that now you want to be a giver? Zacchaeus gave half all of his wealth to the poor. He sold one of the lake houses. He got rid of the Cadillac, one of the Cadillacs. He dug into the 401k and shared it with the world around him. He didn't give it all away, just half of it. He forwarded the mission of Christ. And if he had taken advantage of someone, that person was going to get a check in the mail that was going to make Christmas a pretty merry time. You know, honestly, when I read about this, that he was going to give four times what he cheated back, I thought, I literally, I'm reading it, and I'm like, Zacchaeus, that's too much. I'm so worried about the guy. I was like, dude, I mean, you're going to be poor. But then I realized, I didn't give it all away. Knowing Christ is not about what we have, but what we can give away. You know, Jesus sums up the whole thing. I love this. Look at Jesus. Look what Jesus says. Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus said salvation has come to this home today. You know what Jesus was saying? This dude gets it. He gets it. I mean, instantly change. God, how do I further the mission? God, how do I be a gift to the world around me? God, what do I need to give? What do I need to do, God, to further the mission of Jesus Christ? And Jesus says, dude, you get it. Salvation has come to your house, Zacchaeus. Merry Christmas. There was no longer a guy who had heard about Jesus. He didn't listen to podcasts or never miss a Sunday at church. He was much more than that. A true encounter with Jesus truly changes a man or a woman. And you can tell who gets it. I knew I wasn't going to go to heaven when I died. I, I wasn't the worst person in the world, but I was more than willing to take as much advantage of anyone that I could before I met Jesus. You know what? That's the norm. Then when I was 17 years old, someone stood on the stage and told me about a God who loved me, and I bought into that with all my heart and soul. Making that decision has cost me many hours spent with people who had nothing to give back. Some really appreciated it, and some took great advantage of me. At one time, I was told by more than one struggling teenager in my town in California that I was known as the most used man in Simi Valley. I was told that people were just taking advantage of me. I took that as the biggest compliment in the world because I didn't know anybody who had been more taken advantage of in history than Jesus Christ himself. You know that crowd that was yelling, crucify him? That's, those are the same people that he healed the sick and drove out demons and gave sight back to. Putting Christ and others first has cost me and my family thousands of dollars invested in people that would never be able to repay us. But we are on his mission and we have found great joy there. Guys, knowing Christ is not about what we, we have, but what we give away. And that is godliness with great contentment. Zacchaeus got caught up in the mission. He saw who he was. Guys, we've been digging into 1 Timothy 6 for the past three weeks. I just want to take one final look at Paul's challenge. 1 Timothy chapter 6, teach those who are rich in the world. And by the way, if, if you've got a roof over your head, a meal in your refrigerator, and a change, in, a change of clothes, then you are by far richer than the 90 plus percent of the people in this world. He's talking to us. 
And Paul's talking to Pastor Timothy, and he's saying, Tim, this is what I want you to tell your people. So this is what I'm telling you. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives all we need for our enjoyment. Let me say that again. God gives you all you need for your enjoyment. I am so tired of Christianity that believes that if you're happy, you must be sinning. I'm really enjoying life. God must hate me. I want to go on that mission trip, but I know it would bring me so much happiness that God must not be in it. Translated, if I'm not miserable, I'm not holy. That is not scriptural. That is so far from the truth. If you're miserable, you may need to step back and go, God, where's my contentment in you? Their trust should be in God who richly gives all we need for our enjoyment. Have fun. Enjoy life. Verse 18, but Tim, Tim, tell them to use their money to do good. Guys, use your money to do good. I know I didn't say Rick, but I'm up here and you're not. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Use your money to do good. That will bring a wealth of joy and peace that is beyond understanding. Be generous to those in need. That's where you're going to find contentment. Share. Share with his church. Share with the people in need. Give generously. Why? So that you and I can become an army that reaches this world for Christ. So that we can go meet the Zacchaeuses. So we can pull people out of trees and lead them to Jesus. Let us be the gift that keeps on giving this season for the rest of our lives. Knowing Christ is not about what we have, but what we give away. Remember Paul's words? Godliness with contentment is great wealth. Let me pray. Father, we love you. and worship and praise you. What a great God. What a giving God. God, you have poured joy into my life. Trying to outgive you is the most fun thing in the world, God, because it cannot be done. I don't own the cattle on a thousand hills, but you do. I can't begin to outgive you, outlove you. I can't begin to do it, God. Outlift you up. You, you give back so much more than I give. I thank you for that, God. I worship you and praise you. And I want you to know this morning, God, that I'm content. I don't want anything. I just want to give. I want to give it all away to you, Lord. I worship and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.